Jack's 2023 World Cup campaign faltered on the opening night in Paris seven days ago. And so this evening's match against Namibia here in Toulouse is an opportunity to right some of the wrongs. Here's Vaiganuku, flicks it off, Rygaard, and the All Blacks in early. And Namibia on the board. Rygaard's taken it quickly, away from McKenzie, steps his way through. the third time in as many meetings. The All Blacks have put 50 on Namibia. Easy as you like, David Harveling. It was a tackle and a half. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Straight out race here. Clark waiting for a bounce. He gets it too. Caleb Clark is on the board. Good run by Paganuka. And the speed of Ioani. Too quick. Rico Ioani. And they won it by 71 points to three. Tēnā koutou katoa, bonjour, welcome into the breakdown on the road. We've found ourselves in Toulouse at Brennan Snug, which is an Irish bar, home actually of former Irish international Trevor Brennan. So lucky to be here with the usual suspects. Sir John Kerwin is back, just to stir up Jeff Wilson, Mills Moliaina too. In uh, the home of the Irish, do you three all feel comfortable here? Well, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. How do, you, how do you get us kicked out of a place <laughs> when we just, just got I, here? I just thought I'd start with something controversial. But right. they've still got a lot to play, right? Yeah. They've got South Africa and Scotland, so it's not over for them. They do look good, though. They do. Very, very good. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether you remember, but before we left New Zealand, I actually picked the Irish to go through to the final. So I, I still think they're going to make it. You change every week, though. Hey. You know you change no, every week. Seriously. No. That's not the story, though, Kirsty, right? No, the Fiji. story today. Come on, let's talk about Fiji. History-making feat uh, against Australia. First time they've beaten them in 69 years. Jeff, fair to say, I think everyone uh, on every island in Fiji will still be celebrating that performance. What I'm celebrating is the fact that we invite them into Super Rugby, yep. a part of our game in New Zealand, join with Australia, all of a sudden their game develops to the point where they're now competing on an international stage on a consistent basis, beating England and then coming to a World Cup and getting a win against Australia. And we did it for Argentina in the Jaguares. So what I think when I look at that is providing opportunity growth, Mills, JK though, it was, it was awesome, right? I'm watching it sitting there myself, you know, I know it's, it's our trans-Tasman brothers, but in terms of this tournament, we needed something special yeah. and we got it from Fiji. Well, the thing that annoyed me about Australia was it looked like they were having a training run like there was no emotion on their faces Mills I was really disappointed in their attitude um, and I just think Fiji's the better site I thought they were better than Wales and you know I'm often critical of world rugby Uncle Bill um, <laughs> but the way they've invested with New Zealand rugby and supported you know the the two franchises Moana Pacifica and the Drua I think we're seeing the results of that and, but they have the best attack. They've got the most exciting players, I believe, in the whole tournament. And they play with a little bit um, more freedom than yeah. most of the other sides. Like, you looked at Australia and looked like, oh, we've got to do this and then we've got to do this. Like, it looks like they, they went out there and they weren't going to kick it in between the tens because some, someone had told them that it's high risk. But Fiji just play. And so when you watch them play, but so far against Wales, they had the best game. Everyone loved it. Yeah, awesome. And then last night, you know, yesterday they, 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 they were the better side. So I was thinking the only thing that'll get them Mills is their last 20 minutes of fitness. Yeah, they sort of dipped a little bit there, eh? But I think, I mean, I know that the, the draw and also Moana Pacifica have been in Super Rugby, but I can't 
Okay, I don't think we should take all the credit. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are there that, that are, had exposure to European rugby. I mean, you've seen, look, look at their physique. Mm. You know, and I think also when you go back to the islands, I think they've, they've got a better program back there in, in, in Fiji. So exposure and consistency to that exposure in Europe, I mean, even getting over the ball. Some of those guys, you can oh. barely move. Some of their biceps are bigger than my thighs. <laughs> I mean, and so having that exposure, and you're right, JK, um, you know, World Rugby having invested into the, to the islands. You know, you mentioned it, Kirsty, um, all the islands in Fiji. I think all the islands in the, in the Pacific, Pacific, you know, they're going to be so proud of that, that effort. And the thing is now, it's all in front of them. You know, they get five points every game. And, gee, she's a quarter-final. Come on, Fiji. Come, Come on, on, Fiji. South Africa, Ireland, England uh, keep winning. And it took two weeks, but New Zealand are finally on the board at this Rugby World Cup. And now they've got some serious headaches. The drums are beating for Lester Whanganuku to take up a starting spot on the wing and for Will Jordan to be shifted back to fullback. Mills, what do you think? Can you compare this scenario to, to maybe a time in the past? I can, actually. And so uh, I think this, this is going to be the hardest part for a, for a coaching group, you know, to be able to go, when you come to a tournament that's a one-off, Goldie, you want to be picking your best players. And I, and I look back to 2011, when I was kind of the incumbent, I had a young fella who wasn't that good-looking, Israel Dare, coming <laughs> sort of through, right? You've um, got better hair. Well, yeah, I do. I do. Much better hair. We'll, we'll be, well, I'm losing a little bit. But I think at the time, you know, you've got to sort of separate, you know, your, um, I suppose, your loyalty to the guys that have been there. And Bowden Barrett's an amazing player, right? And so... That's where, you know, um, like the like of Izzy came in, lit the tournament up. And um, I think they're going to have some hard decisions to make, uh, particularly when you guys, like what Lester does is he actually takes a lot of the load off the forwards when he comes in, picks off the back. Yeah, OK, Talia does the same, but I'd love to see Talia move a little bit, you know, a little bit wider. Does Will Jordan bring that X factor in an unknown tournament that we kind of need? And so that's kind of the balance you sort of have to be looking at. Tough decision. Tough decisions. He's but I, his face you, don't, you don't think you think. No, no, I think that don't get um, quality of the player mixed up with form. So if you want to talk about form right now, um, Roy Gard, Fa'anuku, Talia, all in form. Will Jordan didn't have the greatest first up. You're talking about replacing him for Bowden Barrett. Actually, Bowden's been playing well. Right. Is Will Jordan an amazing player? Yes, but is he in form? Question mark. Yet yeah. we probably need to wait until uh, the the Italian game, and I think they'll play Bowden. I think you've got to put Leicester in there because I agree with that. And then Cam Roygaard is putting pressure not on Aaron Smith on Finlay Christie, but in the tournament competition, you've got to pick on form, and that's where it's going to be hard. So I don't think that Will Jordan has showed enough form in this tournament, coming in here in this tournament to to take out Bowden Barrett. So does he, where do you, when do you actually play him at fullback? He's only had one game in this tournament, right? And so does he get an opportunity against Italy? Or do you say, well, we'll wait until that, that very last game and then go, oh, hold on a sec, he now, he's now in good form? You, you've got to pick your best side against Italy. It's sudden death. You lose that game, you're out of the tournament. I think this is a simple conversation about how you think you're going to win the Rugby World Cup. Because Bowden Barrett and Will Jordan, for me, are different players now in their careers. You're talking about an amazing amount of experience you have with Bowden Barrett, who's been successful, he knows what it takes in the big games. But ultimately, Will Jordan's a different player. His instincts are different to Bowden Barrett's. And so there's an element of risk, because you haven't played Will Jordan at fullback enough in the all-black jersey, to be 100% confident he can go out and be adaptable to what the game might need. I think if you put him at fullback to start a game, you're saying, we're run first, kick second, that's our option. Yeah. And that's going to be significantly different to what the All Blacks have done over the last while. Considering the fact they had a fullback in Geordie Barrett, who was very, very different for 18 months, he was very similar, in my, in my view, to a Bowden Barrett. So this is a key discussion point, but ultimately, it's not a headache. 
because we've got guys who offer different things. It gives the coaches some scope. Some teams don't have it's the exactly options. Yeah. Exactly, it's exactly what you want. Exactly. It's exactly what you want. What would you do then? If you're saying, if we want an update... Oh, did you game, understand what, what he... I'll make a decision. Absolutely. I would like to see Will Jordan get the opportunity against Italy at fullback to see if he is in form, if he is playing with confidence and whether or not he's adaptable given the conditions of the game. But I'm not saying that Bowden Barrett can't play a role and can't help us win a rugby world Is cup. Because he, on the he bench can. Then? Absolutely, he certainly can. Nah. It's my first nap from JK, so that's perfect, right? We haven't had JK so you... on the show for months and he's uh, arguing already. So you have him at the back or you have him on the bench? Is well, that what you're saying? No, no. I think you've got to start with Bowden. You've made that commit commitment to it, right? And he is one of your leaders. He is probably running a lot of the game plan with Richie Moonga. So I think the problem is, what are you going to do on the wings? Yeah. I don't think they're going to touch him back there. Just my thought. He would be a coach. <laughs> yeah, so what do you do? You make the bold call, don't you? Well, I think you're running out of time. There's a, there's a big thing that, you know, if you want to test Will Jordan, he's got to play got to do at fullback at some stage. And I'm, I'm kind of like tending to go with, you know, Bowden's great and he I can. I know what Bowden's going to do. I know exactly. When, when and are you going to try Will at the back then if it's going to be the case? Particularly if you're going to go to that deep into a game. Deep into a game. OK, well, plenty more still to discuss on the breakdown. But Jeff actually got to sit down with one of the All Blacks assistant coaches, Jason Ryan. Jase, you go into a week where you've got time um, to prepare for Italy, but I want to talk to you about the, the tournament as a whole. Um, everyone knows it's a, a, longer, a longer eight weeks. Um, for you guys, how much are you adapting as you go from week to week? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we, good thing about sort of this week coming up is we've got a few more bodies coming back at training, which which is which is great. And we head off to, to Bordeaux for a few weeks and we definitely, our language is it's not it's not a week off, it's it's a week to freshen up a few areas in our game, which we know we need to. And, and getting the balance right, I guess, it gives us a chance to put a lot of work into ourselves before we really start, you know, having too much of a look at Italy, even though it will be a mix of both, if that makes sense. In terms of tournament play, yep. and when you're going and you know you're going to moments and knockout games and, and fixtures are not that far away, do you really start to, to look at your preparation in terms of the one-off performance? Yeah, yeah, you do. Like you've got to, you know, you're, we're just looking forward to, as I said before, getting getting all our bodies back and, and getting a, you know, probably I guess our strongest team out there. It's been a bit mixed for us, and we know that. But you know, we there's still a little bit of work to go in this tournament. But when you look at Italy, it's this is a big test match. Like, make no mistake, this is this is a final. You know, to be fair, so that's how we will prepare accordingly, and and just making sure the boys are, as I said before, just. Keep them fresh, sharp, and happy more than anything, but challenging them. Yeah, I've been in these environments before where, you, where you're trying to keep comfortable, you're trying to get that balance 100% right. But are you seeing the edge that you like to see? Because I know you like to keep the guys yeah. with that. And and this week, is it is that going to be a focus of yours in particular? Yeah, it will be. You, you know, you build your week. Like I, I don't need them 100% edgy on Monday or next week when we're training in Bordeaux, but I need them to be really accountable in meetings so that we can fix things straight away and if we're at training and we're doing different scenarios we've got to fix it we can't we can't walk past it we can't avoid it we fix it there and then so that's when the edge comes but when the boys you know when they've got their downtime we'll let them go and have a hit of golf and otherwise it you know you're just draining the battery and you only got one battery <laughs> I like that um, <laughs> what have you noticed about the officiating Already in this tournament, because it was always it was talked about coming in, and clearly there's 
the word inconsistency is being talked about a lot. Is that what you guys are seeing as coaches, or is that just up to you as players and coaches to adapt? Well, look, everyone wants consistency, Goldie. Like players want it in their in their week, coaches want it in their players, and the game needs it. You know, that's all. That's all we want is consistent rulings around whatever the theme is. If it's a scrum penalty, if it's a rule at the breakdown, be consistent with it, and then you'll probably get the results. And I think, to be fair, it's probably been a little bit mixed in both parts, and it can, it can always be better. That I'll probably answer that really politically. <laughs> <laughs> and I get that. I know, because and then those are things that are out of your control, right? Yeah, you can only control what you can control. Um, we've heard you talk about discipline just lastly, the fact that how much of that's on the team or how much is that's on the individual? Uh, well, well, a lot of it, is a mix of both because you can get individual penalties if it's, you know, someone like said they blocking in the line out. Well, that's an individual thing. If a team penalty is repeat, um, repeat not getting on side on D, well, that's a different context. So it's it's all very well to go, oh, the discipline hasn't been as good as it had been, but that's a really broad statement. When you drill into it, go, well, what area is it? Okay, that's individual. Get out of the ruck. Practice it at training. So I think that's how you can put it in a little bit more context. And just, I'll just one more final thing. Um, as a group, as a management group, are you enjoying the experience, the day-to-day -day experience of being part of a Rugby World Cup, or is there not time for that? Mate, it's, it's, it's high octane. Okay. I'll tell you right now, like, you're, you're constantly on the go. Um, look, you do, you do have to enjoy it along the way. You have to reset yourself and, and, and enjoy the country of what it is, but... You know, like, when it's game day, I know that if I've done my preparation right and set the boys up, you can actually enjoy it a lot more, but there's still nothing better than getting on that all-black bus and seeing the boys do the anthem and haka. It's, it gets me every time in the anthem, and, and that's what it's about in World Cups. And I think that has been unbelievable with the crowds here. How good are they? Are they going right or...? They're awesome, mate. They're amazing, right? <laughs> they're unbelievable. And they're just right behind it. Everyone's on, and... Um, and that's what the, the game needs. And you're seeing those marks of respect like we saw in the Namibia game when there, there is an injury, when the, uh, the kickers are taking shots at goal. It certainly does have a feel as though it's, it's, it's everyone's World Cup, right? Yeah, totally. And it's, um, it's a credit to France how, the, how they're getting behind it. And, you know, hopefully that, uh, the player from Namibia is OK. And it was great to see their boys come in the shed. And shit, there's a few selfies going on, a few flags getting signed. And one guy brought in about 10 hats to be signed. It was all good, you know, it's all part of it. Awesome. A uh, couple of promos, but uh, no, it's good. <laughs> A beautiful display of sportsmanship from the All Blacks, but this is what we see uh, from different teams at every Rugby World Cup, don't we? The level of respect that sits there. But even the fans, yeah, the for fans. me, Mills, JK, you get these tournaments, the fact, the respect for the goal kicking, the respect for the, the haka, haka was unbelievable. That You could hear a pin drop. And I think, to me, yeah. if you think about the spirit of the tournament and you're always wondering about that, I think... The bar's been set really high early on. Whether when the pressure comes on, however, <laughs> in the big games, when we're talking about knockout phases, I'll be interested to see then, and all of a sudden the crowd might start getting involved a little bit more, JK. Oh, I, I love the French crowds. We were talking about it the other night. They're there to have a good time. I think sometimes in New Zealand, because we're passionate about the game, we study it too much, so everyone's studying the game. We're here, they're just here for a good time. But actually, that was spine-tingling, um, the silence around the haka. I don't think I've ever been in an environment where... You know, 35,000 people deathly silent. You could hear every word. And it was just, you know, it just made, made you feel good because it was about respect.
Let's talk about Jason Ryan and, uh, and that interview that you just did. The differences between Rugby World Cup tournament play and just every other test for the All Blacks. Very different. And, and different in this World Cup because all of a sudden the All Blacks have a weekend off and they've got significant amount of time to go to work. And the one thing that I know Jason Ryan is not concerned about, but he doesn't like talking about it as a week off Mills because they're looking at this going, you know what, we've got some really important work to do. And they're bringing back some players yeah. and integ integrating maybe an Ethan Blackadder into their plans. Because I think ultimately if he'd got through the season and played more rugby, there's a high probability he would have been here anyway yeah. as part of the starting group. So. They're going to go to work now with some guys returning yes. from injury. Tyrell Lomax looks as though he's going to be good to go. So the next five or six days, and Jason Ryan sort of talked about the fact they've got to stay focused on the task at hand, right? Yeah, reset in some sense. Right, you, know, you come off the loss, awesome that they've won their game and they won in a really clinical way and you know, were, um, you know, the way that they sort of come out. So now they're on a little bit of a you know, confidence high. It's so important that you don't go away and just think it's a week off then to come back again. So I, I like the way they're sort of they're talking about it. They're ramping things up for the Italian game, um, for the back end. Because you've got to remember, we've, we've started the Argentinian game. So we've gone like that. Then we've had to plateau a little bit and to come back down. Now it's about getting the players, you know, up again. And if you give them a week off, you know, we, we did it in 2007. We, 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 got a, we got four days off. And we basically, what did <laughs> basically, uh, treated it like a holiday, and by the time we came back, it actually we actually caught us off guard because you had to. You took three or four days to get yourself back to that intensity. Whereas, yep. from what we're hearing, the All Blacks are just taking. You know, you have you come in every second day. I, I like that. Yeah, absolutely, J.K. No, you annoyed me though because I asked you to ask Jason Ryan one question. Had three hours the other day about speeding the game up, and I asked you to ask him one question, which was, how quick can we set a scrum? Like. You That's didn't ask him. up to the referee. You didn't ask him, though. Well, I asked and talked about that. I did talk about the referees, though, and the fact that the one thing they're looking for is consistency. So whether it's speed of game, whether it's uh, around the breakdown, whether it's line-outs, the frustration I get the sense at the moment is that what we're seeing is there are technicalities in the game, there are laws in the game, which all of a sudden we don't see for 50 minutes, and then you see it once, and then you don't see it again. And to your point, you know, the... This is, a, this is a really important tournament in terms of showcasing the game to the world, and I clearly think at the moment, you may be a little bit frustrated. No, I'm not frustrated. I'm annoyed. <laughs> it's, it's different. When you're annoyed, you swear. When you're frustrated, you just frown. Um, so for me, it's about, like, the reason I want to know how quick we can do a scrum is just to speed the game up. Our first game against France, we had 29 minutes. And I'm doing this selfishly, right? Because unless we can hang on to the ball, unless we can play a fast game, um, we're, we're hindered. So how it's interpreted, it's not the ref's fault. I keep saying this, it's the rules. We've got to start cutting out some of these rules or ignore them because they're just irrelevant. So you pick a rule out late. If the scrums are taking four minutes and getting reset, if you've got guys going down faking injuries, then we've, we don't have a spectacle. So that's, that's my issue. We've got, to, we've got to have referees going into these playoff stages to actually go, we want to see some football. Well, it's going to, the consistencies now, Kirsty, we're going to see this now with, with all the collisions that we're experiencing and the fact, Mills, that I don't know what's a yellow card. I don't know what's going to get upgraded to a red card. I don't even know what a penalty half the time is now when it comes to some of these collisions because they look the same to me, yeah. but they're looked at differently by the referees on the day. And the mitigating factors. Like, I'm, I'm almost, when you go to judici judiciary, you just don't know what you're going to get, right? Um, and so that's, that's the big thing. They're looking, at, they're looking at stuff. They're trying to speed the game up. I'm with you. Oh, I think we can speed the game up in terms of guys going down. Surely the referee has the ability to be able to go, well, let's keep going, unless it's a, a, a big injury, right? I mean, that's where we're, we're not seeing the fatigue. And when you look at it, 
us from a Southern Hemisphere point of view, we want this, the game to be sped up. Other sides, possibly not. Well, you talk about the judiciary. We've managed to get away without talking about it for about 10 minutes, but Ethan de Groot has gone to judiciary and has been banned. What sort of impact is this going to have on the All Blacks pack moving forward, JK? None. No impact well, at all? Well, you just got to get on with it. That's the whole thing about a tournament. We came away... We all came away saying a red card's going to influence one of the games. Someone's going to get yellow or red. You know, I think Ethan de Groot was unlucky, but I also think the guy that, that, that jumped in the air and kicked the guy in the face was yeah. unlucky, right? I think mitigating factors are always involved, but the All Blacks would have planned for this, as Ireland would have, as South Africa, because if you don't plan for it, then you're not doing your job. So um, we might not have our strongest side out there through yellow or red cards, and that's going to be the case. Do we want Ethan de Groot out there? Yeah, we do, but he's not. So you've just got to actually ignore it and get on with it. Mills, I mean, I think he was desperately unlucky. I mean, it's one of those things where he wasn't... He was bracing for contact. Um, the point of contact was very close, shoulder and head. Um, but this is the moment you get in front of the judiciary. You get that red card threshold. We have seen. They're not in positions where they're not going to go lightly. They're trying to make examples. Well, my problem is, with the rules, it's, it's a lottery, right? So I understand why the judiciary are doing it. They're doing it for the health and safety of the opposition. But then there's inconsistencies in that. Right? For example, Ethan de Groot did not win that contact. He went backwards after the contact. He was bringing his arm up, the opposition. But if they've set a line in the sand and they're saying, you know, it's three weeks, it's three weeks. And, that, and that's, the, that's the difficult part, right? You don't know what's going to happen if you get red carded. And that's what worries me, the fact that you're going to against the judicial system that sort of is possibly a little bit inconsistent. Um, so we don't know what we're going to get. You know, the English one you're talking about, I didn't think that warranted three weeks. Um, but, you know, again, um, I don't think it's going to worry us too much. I think we've still got plenty of depth there um, in terms of guys returning back. Um, but, again, you get yourself in that position, man, it's, it's going to cost you. Just lastly, he hasn't been to tackle school. So he can go to tackle school, you get a week off. Neither did you. Yeah. Neither did I. Well, we never, we'll, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to have gone to it, to be fair. Well, this is quickly becoming one of my favourite segments on The Breakdown. It's when JK sits down with some absolute legends. This week, it's injured All Blacks prop George Bauer. Well... I'm really excited today because sometimes you meet people and they just have this beautiful, warm smile and um, you feel really at ease. And that's you, George. Oh, thank yeah. you, thank you, JK. <laughs> so welcome to the bench, mate. Welcome to the bench. So um, who's on your bench? Uh, on my bench, definitely my, my mum and dad and my two brothers. Um, just, yeah. Growing up, uh, mum and dad had to sacrifice a lot. Um, and uh, it wasn't easy, but, um, yeah, we had, we had a strong, strong supportive family. And although, you know, we didn't always have the nice things or, or the money, we were quite close as a family. And, and mum and dad um, raised us up well and still gave us the love and care that we, we had as brothers. And, um, yeah, so... And then, most importantly, probably my grandparents. Um, my grandparents moving from Fiji, sacrificing their life there to, you know, look for a better life for the next generation, which was, you know, us. And so, um, yeah, grandparents on the bench, and then all the, all their, I guess, my grandparents that moved to New Zealand had had six sisters, and my mum was one of them, and they're all in New Zealand, and um, they've been super supportive of me 
during my career and during my life. Um, and they say, you know, it takes a village to, to raise up a child. And um, I feel like, yeah, that was my life growing up. I was always at an auntie's house with cousins and things like that. So, yeah, definitely the extended family are all on my bench as well. So, yeah. And um, your rugby career is not really one that takes the traditional path, right? Um, Someone told me, so it might not be true. Um, but your rugby career was just sort of meandering along, not really going too yeah. far. Do you want to tell us was, how yeah. you recovered from that? Oh, man, it was, um, yeah, it's definitely the, the longer way around. Um, I was at Wellington at the time, and I was doing a bit of construction. had taken a, a gap year off uni. Um, and there was just a point where I was kind of working overnight on a bridge, um, and I had this big drill. They'd drill it and it'd just shake your whole body, but I was, you know, so tired that I'd be falling off to sleep. And I was like, man, I realised that I can't be doing this. So an opportunity popped up to travel to Dunedin and um, play club rugby there for Harbour Hawks. And so I was like, yeah, might as well take my chance and get out of my comfort zone. And um, I did. So shot down to Dunedin and um, yeah, started playing a bit of club footy there. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of get my field down in Dunedin. Um, I moved there in, I think it must have been 2014, and it took me a while to get into the Otago squad. And I guess throughout that time I was there, I, I kind of realised the importance of, um, yeah, just keep going at my, yeah, at my dream and um, just to become a better rugby player. And yeah, I, it took me a while, but um, it was worth it in the end. So, last question. Mm -hmm. What would the two things that you'd tell the George that was on the sledgehammer all those years ago? If you had your time again, what would be the two things you'd say to him? Oh. Um, I guess uh, the importance of your, your work ethic. Uh, it's something my dad taught me, no matter what you're doing, um, if it's... You know, if it's church, if it's rugby, if it's your job, whatever it is. I was, I was washing dishes. I was just doing everything with um, the best you can, the best that your hand can do. Um, so yeah, uh, and yeah, keep doing that. And then also, mm, the second thing I tell myself is, I think the importance of actually setting a goal and striving for for greatness. Um, I didn't think it was possible back then, but you know, sitting here now, it is. And so telling my younger self that, man, you can reach the stars. You just have to set those goals and you have to tell yourself that you can, so, yeah. And greatness is to be a great dad, a great brother, mm. great friend, great exactly. workmate. Yeah. If you're on the jackhammer, be great at the jackhammer. So yeah. great advice. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Sue. John Kerwin. <laughs> <laughs>
made the decision to go for a young team. Um, if that's the wrong decision, then I'll, I'll be held uh, accountable for that. But I think Australian rugby needs to move on to a younger team. And yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to experience some pain to go through it, to leave Australia with a team that's capable of doing really well at a World Cup. And it's not to say we can't do that. You know, we've had a, a bit of a setback today, um, but that's, that's all part of being in a World Cup. You know, I do remember South Africa lost the game and won the World Cup. So funny things have happened. Yeah, as disappointing as our, our performance was today, you know, to get a point out of that is a, is a bit of a bonus, and that's probably why they're called bonus points. Oh, and you don't want to have a bit of a dig, mate? It's always good to kick a dead body, mate. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Get your fill. Uh, look, I'm a bit used to it, mate. And after that, I probably deserve more, mate. You know, they should be throwing, throwing what, what they throw here, baguettes, croissants at me. Uh, it's not good enough, so I deserve whatever I get, mate. We're taking nothing away from the flying Fijians here because it was a brilliant performance and a great win for them at the Rugby World Cup. But JK, how much pressure are the Wallabies and Eddie Jones under when they're in jeopardy of not making it out of their pool right now? Well, they'll be, you know, and a lot more pressure when they're flying home, not making the playoffs. And I can't see them making it at the moment because of the way they're playing. Um, I don't think they've got a front five at the moment that can be dominate, dominant at the next level. Um, you know, I think some of their selections, leaving some of their X-Factor players at home. I mean, would you have liked Quade Cooper to come on late? Uh, in that game. So I just don't think they've got the cattle at the moment and I don't think they're playing a style of rugby that suits the cattle that they've got. So it's really interesting. You know, you guys know I love Eddie. Um, I think he's a big part of the game. But actually, the reality is I don't think they're good enough. Did Rugby Australia make a mistake when they sacked Dave Rennie prematurely prior to the Rugby World Cup? Would he have had this group going better than what they are under Eddie Jones? Well, it was a huge call at the time, wasn't it? I think he, he was starting to get some inroads in terms of, you know, fluency in their games and consistency in some of their players. They bring on Eddie, obviously, not just for this World Cup, but for the future. But I, I agree with JK. I think when, you've, when you pick a really inexperienced team and your front five aren't dominating, there's still some sort of inexperienced guys in there. Then you're putting the whole onus on a real youngster at 10. And they still haven't sort of sorted who their nine, combo nine, nine is. Um, and so what do they kind of look like? They all look like they're trying really, really hard. Um, almost confused about what their game plan is uh, and then chasing the game. And when you're playing against a side like the Fijians, they've got nothing to lose. Um, they come out, they bring the physicality, they bring that excitement. You're under immense pressure. So I just, I just wonder whether they're a little bit confused. I, I was hoping that they would have kicked on from that Bledisloe game, but they just haven't yet. Look, the way they're playing the game is un-Australian for me. Hold on to the ball and play. Don't kick it away. They've got a skill set. They're certainly good enough for that. The one thing they can't afford to do is they can't afford to get in a confrontation. And the fact they didn't realise that Fiji's forward pack has elevated itself in the last 18 months to two years to the point they are an international quality forward pack. Particularly their starting eight were outstanding. Their work over the ball, you talked about it. So ultimately they've prepared poorly for this game and they've played poorly, but I think this is a direct result of the fact they've got five teams in Super Rugby. It's too much. Yeah, no, I no, get no, that. No. I, knew no, go. no I knew you were going to go yeah, there. Exactly, because they've got no depth. Okay, but what, what if what, what if I say this? They're possibly playing to their level. 
No, no, so I don't know if they can play better because when I see their kickers kick the ball dead no, but that's strategy. at international that level. That was strategy. They were, they yeah, were but doing that on the, the back of line breaks. What about the execution? No, not what about the execution? And then have you, how many times have you seen the All Blacks kick it dead or South Africa kick it dead? I mean, that's just execution. The number of times there was a full back there covering the back space. It wasn't like there was space in the backfield. Yeah. They, so so, so my question forward. is, are they underperforming or are they just playing to their ability and they're not good enough? Oh, I, think, I don't think they've de developed enough depth but what they've done is the fact they've been in Super Rugby and because their talent is spread so far and wide, they don't get confidence, they don't get growth. They get the fact that quite often they're not deep into the playoffs in Super Rugby for a number of years. But Dave Rennie, I think, was doing a great job with the same group of, same group of players. They were well, right getting, there. That's getting back to your question, right? You can't blame Eddie. You can't blame Eddie. So you point you, a finger at you, Rugby Australia. And you can't, exactly. So, and, and Dave Rennie was doing a good job. You don't get rid of your head coach if you're not delivering the cattle, what's happening at school level. I mean, if they go out early, then maybe it's going to be that, that kick in the behind that they need to start saying, well, maybe only we, we can only have four franchises. What are we doing at the school level? Yeah. This, is, this, is a, this is a union that got $70 million from the 2003 World Cup. If they go out early, does Eddie Jones seriously survive? I know they're looking ahead to 2027, but can you, can you keep Signed a five-year deal, good old Eddie, old mate. Beauty, bro. Get the old five-year deal in there. The, the downside to this, and if they don't make the quarterfinals, is, I mean, it's really unattractable in Australia. You know, they're, they're, mm. they're, they're competing against some big sporting other organisations. If they don't win, no one's going to want to play rugby, you, you think. And so how do they create it? I think you're right. They've got to actually come back and go, well, hey, instead of having five teams, they want maybe four. And, and you look at the, the, the team that he's picked, He's, I think he, he, there was the Brumbies made the playoffs and they only got like six players, at least of the whole lot. So what, what what's, has he actually picked his team on? Well, on the other end of the scale, you have Ireland, who are looking like absolute world champions right now, Jeff. Can anyone yeah. beat them the way that they are playing? Well, who, who have they Jack, played? I, I mean, yeah, they yeah, haven't yeah. been tested have fully they played yet. They haven't been tested. Yeah, they but will they're this on... weekend. South Africa coming up this weekend. That's when we'll know. But they're on some sort of winning streak. And you, you can't take that away from them. The fact they haven't played South Africa or Scotland, two biggest challenges in their pool. So right now, what they are is they're well prepared, they look slick, they look balanced, they look as though they're in good shape health-wise. They've certainly got some depth. Their bench adds when it comes on. So ultimately, they're delivering on exactly what they came into this Rugby World Cup with. Great form, with healthy players. Now it's a matter of whether or not they've got two big performances in them before they go to a quarter-final. I, I would put a word in there that... I'd, I'd use often for the All Blacks, they're clinical. And I think, you know, um, I think they'll make it through. Their tournament is yet to come. They've got Scotland, who are well-drilled now. They've got a South African side that is on form. So it's not easy. But they are clinical, Mills. They know how to play. Every single player knows what to do. Um, they can hold the ball for multiple phases. If you can't get it off them, you're in trouble. Um, it'd take a miracle, but then Scotland will be aiming for them. South Africa will be aiming for them. So they've got two big games coming up and they haven't really been tested. Do you genuinely think that Ireland won't make it out of the pool, JK? No, not of course. I, I, I don't think they're not going to make it out of the pool. I think they're good enough. But this is tournament. You know, they're, they're carrying all this pressure. We're putting pressure on them. Can they deal with the pressure of the World Cup? We're about to find out because their next couple of games are the biggest games of the tournament. I think timing-wise it's probably perfect for them. You know, they've had a couple of really, you know, nice clinical displays against, you know, lesser oppositions. But now they've got two big ones before they go into the, um, in, into the final. So it's just come off sort of like a, a pre-season. So it's a nice re-way to actually 
warm myself into. They could have easily been a little bit clunky in those games. I think they're in the best position to be, to be able to go into this with two hard games, come to the quarterfinals, and that intensity is, is still there. Other teams won't have the ability to, to go into quarterfinals rugby off the back of um, you know, some, some big games. Can we celebrate some of these legends at the Rugby World Cup? Sam Whitelock reached a historic milestone the other day. Johnny Sexton, another one, 38 years old. He's playing at his fourth Rugby World Cup and has just surpassed Ronan O'Gara as the top point scorer for Island Mills. We've got to celebrate these guys. Absolutely we do. I mean, you talk about Sam and, um, and obviously, um, you know, what sort of he's done in his position. Yeah. Johnny Sexton, man, he's been around for... A 2009. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's crazy. And you do. I mean, this, these are the guys that actually sit there and, you, and promote the game, you know, over the way they're playing. But to be at that top level as well, wonderful, wonderful achievement for both of them. Yeah, for me, Sam, consistency, unbelievable. Same with Sexton. So two, two greats of the game. Well, the curious case of the Springboks continue. We know that they picked four halfbacks coming into this Rugby World Cup. Faf de Klerk ended the game playing at first five. Grant Williams started the game on the wing. Dean Fourie in his first Rugby World Cup switched from loose forward to hooker. Malcolm Marks has been ruled out and they bring in Andre Pollard, Jeff. No surprises here whatsoever. I said before the tournament that Andre Pollard would He'd place. Be there. He would be in this tournament in some way. I didn't expect it to be like this. Now, I'm not sure... You know, the experience of the players coming in to cover hooker. But that's a risk for me, Mills. The fact, not having someone who's been a specialist, considering the way that they've played. And the loss of Malcolm Marks is significant. If we end up facing them in a quarter-final, I feel just a little bit better about that, mm. knowing that he won't be out there. Because he's been one of those guys that's given us so much, so much of a, a problem. Um, so the Africa still look good. They're just going about their business. They're dominating where they, they're, they're strong at. I'm not going to say too much more so I don't get myself in trouble. <laughs> How about that? I'll leave it <laughs> to you guys. Everything gets about yeah. a million views. Yeah. Mills? I think the downside to not having a specialist is, you know, the line-outs, the line you know. This has been their biggest strength. And yeah. when you haven't got time in there and someone coming in, and throwing it, yeah, they're going to get this, you know something similar in terms of the Malcolm Marks over the ball, in terms of the players that they've got. But I think you know you're, you're really placing your bets on someone coming on and hitting the mark and what is arguably their, their biggest strength, and that's their lineup. Oh, I think it's all part of the plan. I think that um, they've realised that winning in between World Cups is not as important as winning World Cups. So I think it's all been planned. I think they're acting like a very confident side that knows what they need to do to win. Um, they've got so, players that can play multiple so positions. How big a play does Andre Pollard... You know, how much does, uh, what do they do with him? The fact that uh, Manila Bock has done a great job for them at first five and look really, really settled. Is, is Pollard... Because when they go with a 6-2 split, JK, is that... Mind you, they've got four oh, half halfbacks they, that can play all positions, to be fair. <laughs> no, no, they bring him on with 15 minutes to go. So he's on the, the bench, though, for them? For totally. Ireland this weekend. In the quarterfinals. Quarter They're bringing him in. He is the type of guy that you want to bring the game home. And I think they'll be doing it for that. They'll be up by three points against whoever, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to play them because I think I'd rather play them than Ireland. Um, you know, and they'll bring him on with 20 to go to kick to the corners, to try and get penalties, to get those malls going. So he's just a calm head that they trust. So, Mills, you're leaving Marnie Leboc at 10? I'd leave him there. I think he's been really good. I think... Um because two different players, right? And I think the way that they're going, the consistency, the flow that they've got in the game, he's running the game really well. I agree. I think, you know, you bring um, Polak off the bench, he can finish, he can goal kick from 60, 60 odd metres and, you know, you know, direct them round when, when they need to, particularly when it comes to their game. I mean, how big of influence does that game in Twickenham and that win and how they won it, they just seem a totally different beast now. Their confidence levels are up, they're really composed about what they're doing, they're focusing on themselves and no one else. Um, they're looking really good.
Let's talk Samoa because they got their Rugby World Cup campaign underway. It was so cool to see some of these former Wallabies and former All Blacks players out there representing Manu Samoa. Oh, it's massive. Girls. It's massive. And seeing guys out there with plenty of ex yeah. test match experience, I mean, and that's a great rule that they've, they've, they've brought out. Um, and you're also seeing that in terms of some of the play, like the, the set piece. You know, that's coming along a lot better than perhaps they would have sort of had. So they sort of strengthened that up. Um, it was, would have been a long wait for, for Samoa, yes. having that buy that first week. But, um, you know, they've got, a, they've got a bigger task here. And the big thing now, that they've, what they've seen Fiji do, mm -hmm. is the motivation that provide them to, to be able to say, well, who can we pick off? Well, that's an I'm just You know what, I'm right smiling? Now. I was just smiling because I don't know if this is true, but wasn't in the Fiji and uh, Australian game, wasn't every try scorer a Fijian? <laughs> Yeah, true, yeah, yeah, true, yeah, right. um, uh, yeah. yeah. um, also, So, Pacifica rugby has always been a jewel in the rugby crown. Created some of the greatest rugby players in the world. And we have been depriving the world of these great athletes and these great players by banning them if they play two test matches for the All Blacks or for Australia. So to have these guys available is fundamental to the growth of our sport. So like I said, I'm critical of, the, of world rugby often, but the money they're investing um, in the second tier, especially in South Pacific, is fantastic. And I hope, you know, I thought Samoa could have played better. Um, I thought Tonga could have played better, but they will get better over the tournament. I, I can see them um, getting better as they go. So for me... Can you see them beating? Because they have Japan, Argentina, and England. Yeah, there you go. that's the last. That's their next three games. And so we talk about them, whether or not they're a chance. It, you think they're a chance to beat Argentina? To totally. beat England? You and... see Argentina play the other day? Yeah, I did. Did you see Argentina play? Yep. Well, if they play like that, they've got a chance. I don't think yeah. they can play that badly again. And my mate Diego Dominguez, <laughs> I spoke to him. He was horrified. I've never seen Argentina play that bad. But that's tournament. Some people yeah. come in, you lose your confidence, and you start playing terribly. It happens. Just a word on Tonga as well. Uh, it was awesome to see Charles Piatel out there. It's been a long wait. It's been a long wait. See him at a rugby for, World Cup. And via Fafita, these guys are making their Rugby World Cup debuts, but they're in their 30s and have been on the rugby scene for a decade. The hard thing is they're just not getting enough time together, enough games together to get the benefit of all of that experience and ability and the fact that the intellectual property they can bring into an environment, there's just not enough of it. So that's, like you say, the investment that World Rugby's trying to make, specifically in the Pacific Island, I think is really important, and particularly for Tonga, because them getting together, playing more games together, you know, I think you'll, you'll start seeing the benefit of the Rugby World Cup. I don't think we're going to see it at this one, unfortunately. I just don't know if they've got enough to get themselves to a level to get out of their pool. But it's great to see them here. And, and remembering, I, mean, I got asked the other day about, you know, what about some of these mismatches? But don't forget that, that when you start playing those other games, you know, four and five in the pools playing against each other, you see remarkable games of rugby. You know, they are really... They're excited for, the, they're excited for those experiences. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know, who's, exactly. Leading, you know who's leading the world rugby? Six nations. Because they actually need to start developing these sides that are going backwards. Romania and those sides are going backwards. Whereas we've invested in, in like, in, in Portugal, we've invested in, in Spain, and Chile. those teams are getting better. Chile's Uruguay. getting better. So the Six Nations need to have a promotion relegation and get the second sides having a chance to play, because we know that tournaments is how you get better. Well, things may have cooled down a little bit, calmed down a little bit here, but we are about to shake things up. Do not go anywhere here on the breakdown on the road. When we come back, we're bringing Trevor Brennan onto the programme, former Irish international. JK, you better watch out.
The ASB Rugby Awards is a pinnacle event on the annual rugby calendar, celebrating the best of the best in rugby in New Zealand, from our communities right through to our teams in black. In 2023, there are two new Community Rugby Awards, in addition to the Charles Munro Volunteer of the Year. With over 470 rugby clubs across all corners of New Zealand, we know that many of these clubs serve their communities far beyond rugby. The Bunnings Warehouse Rugby Club of the Year recognises a rugby club that has achieved significant outcomes for their members, local community or provincial union in the current year. The winner of Bunnings Warehouse Rugby Club of the Year will receive $5,000 worth of Bunnings products and materials to support the maintenance and improvement of their club rooms. The two finalist clubs will also receive a $500 Bunnings gift card. The second new award is to recognise that rugby has the ability to bring communities together to achieve great things. The New Zealand Rugby Community Impact Award recognises an incredible person from a provincial union, community rugby club, organisation, school, iwi or super rugby club that has significantly impacted their community this year. This could include growing participation, culture, diversity and inclusion, women and girls, mental health and well-being, player welfare and leadership. Get your nominations in now on www.nzrugby.co.nz forward slash ASB Rugby Awards so we can celebrate the amazing individuals and clubs that make a difference in our communities. Winners will be announced during the awards show on December 14 on Sky. Welcome back to the breakdown on the road. As you know, we are in Toulouse at the coolest bar I think I've ever stepped into. Brennan Snug, Trevor, great to have you joining us on the show and thank you so much for opening your doors to us. Tell us about this place. It is seriously cool. Oh yeah, this is uh, an institution in Toulouse where all the rugby teams come. This is like uh, the clubhouse for the Toulouse team for the last few years. And you know, we get all the superstars in here and we get all the visiting teams over as well. And, so it's no different today to have all these legends in here. Poor old Jeff just did a runner because J.K. <laughs> was in his ear. So uh, he's up at the bar drinking a couple of Guinnesses now, but no. I did see you looking at me from afar when I started talking about Ireland's got their tournament ahead of them. Yeah. Mate. When you said Ireland wouldn't come out of the pool stages, jeez, we haven't been beaten in two years. <laughs> we went down to New Zealand, won a test series. We beat, beat you guys down there. We beat Australia down there. We beat South Africa down there. We won a Grand Slam, but listen, I suppose you're right, Ireland's form over since 1987, you know, we've never come out, out of a quarter-final stage. Um, we, have the, we have the team to do it this year. Um, I think Joe Smith, over the six years he was in Ireland, in charge of Ireland, he brought a lot of steel to the team. Andy Farrell, who's come in there now, over the last four years, has brought something, but he was part of Joe Smith's back, backroom staff, so he's just carried on that and brought it to a different level. You know, we, we've, we've players, we've three or four players in every position, so we've, we've zero injuries at the moment, which is a massive part. But I suppose, you know, Ireland won't fear whether it's playing, whether we finish first or second, I don't think we'd fear playing France or we won't fear playing the All Blacks. What sort of security you got running here, man? Or do you just stay open 24 hours? Because, I mean, there's some wonderful yeah. memorabilia. I mean, I'm looking behind you at John Alomu's uh, jersey, yeah. the 95 World Cup. He's, Couple of special, yeah. my, one of my favourites here, uh, the 2011. I mean, are you yeah. on there, Melzi? I'm definitely on there. Oh, you're definitely, definitely there. That was, that was a great present from uh, 
Jerome Kainu, who drinks in here every weekend, and since he's stopped playing, he drinks in here about four times a week. <laughs> uh, he actually just rented a house about 100 yards up the road. <laughs> he was a couple of miles out of town. Uh, Charlie from Anna comes in, Cheslin when he was playing here, but, you know, th this is like their home from home, you know what I mean? And I say it's even with the, the guys over here, the English, the Welsh, the Scottish, the Irish, working in Airbus, you know, they come here to watch the games, whether it's rugby, soccer, and, yeah, I suppose my favourite is probably the Carnoustie uh, flag there. Uh, Horrick Harrington, he was the first guy to win it in over 60 years, the first Irish man to win it in over 60 years. And I met him at a speaking gig back in uh, Dublin, and uh, he, I was talking to him about the bars and the memorabilia. He said, listen, I'll send you over a flag, myself thinking it'd just be a tricolour sign. But it was the 18 hole from Carnoustie, which was wow. fantastic. Mate, we were talking about it before, how um, rugby's been so great, um, you know. But you, you're a great rugby player in your own right. You mm. came over here... Um, and now here you are. So how did that happen? You just didn't go home? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. So I suppose uh, when I asked Ian O'Veys why he signed me, I said you could have got Paul O'Connell or Malcolm O'Kelly, and he just went through the whole team, talking about William Savat throwing in balls and Fabian Palouse catching line-outs. He went through the whole team, and Joe Jones staying on his feet. And then when he came to me, he said, you just cause havoc. <laughs> so he just said, listen, every team, you know what I mean? The way he explained to me is... What makes a special team is when you have 15 players bring something different to the to, to, to the to the to the game. And I said, I said, well, I hope I bring a bit more than that. But as I said, listen, I had a great career in Ireland. Ireland gave me first chance. France gave me second chance uh, as far as rugby goes, but also as a career after rugby. And I say, like, I'm a proud say, like, I'm adopted Toulouse man, French man. I'm delighted to say my kids now played for France under 20s. Uh, you know, they both won World Cups in 2018, 2019. Two of them are playing professional rugby at the moment, one with Toulouse, one with Brave. So, yeah, so listen, as you said, rugby, it's amazing and how, how it opens doors and how it closes doors as well. But <laughs> it's, it's opened a lot of doors for me. And listen, I just, I just love, uh, you know, what it's, what it's done for me over the years. Oh, you're making me emotional here. Yeah. You talk about it. So lucky to, yeah. to be here with you. You've got the dress code on point too. JK will be absolutely loving the glasses. Uh, Thank you so much, no though. Problem. Enjoy the rest of the Rugby World Cup. We know this place will be rocking for Ireland, South Africa absolutely. this weekend. Fantastic. And for all of you watching around the world, thank you for joining us on The Breakdown on the Road. We will be back next week. Ka kitiano. Bonjour and welcome to the south of France.